Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 18th, 2016. Today, we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 11, and we are at page 156, Paragraph 4. Today's readers are Dawn D. on the 12 Steps, Diane G. on the 12 Traditions, and the readers of the text are Martha Z., Nancy R., and Jody E.Q. The reference number for Monday, October 17th, is 9180. That's 9180. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Dawn D to read the 12 steps of OA. Hi, my name is Dawn D, and I'm a compulsive overeater. This is the 12 steps. Number one, we admit it we're powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless more of an inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all the defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Dawn. I will, thank you. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 traditions of OA. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from um, New Hampshire, recovered not cured compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 
Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group, sh- each, excuse me, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group are never endorsed finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such should never be organized but we may create our service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you, Diane. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, chapter 11 on page 156, paragraph four. I will ask Martha Z to begin reading. She's gonna be reading through four paragraphs ending um, on page 157, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. Go ahead. Good morning, Katie. Uh, this is Martha C. I'm a um, recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. She replied, yes, we've got a corker. He's just beaten up a couple of nurses, goes off his head completely when he's drinking. But he's a grand chap when he's sober though he's been in here eight times in the last six months. Understand he was once a well-known lawyer in town, but just now we've got him strapped down tight. Here was a prospect all right, but by the description, none too promising. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. But one of the friends said, put him in a private room, we'll be down. Two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows, and why this private room? I was always in a ward before, Um, said one of the visitors. We're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. 
Good morning, my friends in recovery. Um, let's see. Um, so we're talking about Bill Dotson here, alcoholic number three. And um, whenever I think about this, I think about the the Norman Rockwell painting with with the man on the bed and and Bill and Bob sitting there. And I was thinking yesterday um, when somebody was sharing about the date when um, Bill Dotson entered the hospital. He said it was June 26th, and I thought that was only a little more than two weeks after Dr. Bob. Um, got recovered after he made amends and you know and I thought here he is you know he's he's right into 12 step work you know doing a 12 step call and I'm thinking it's it's 2 weeks later so um I just that's just thought that was amazing he'd only been been in recovery for that short period of time so Bill Dotson's story is on page 182 in the story section here and um the um the description in the beginning they're talking about what he used to what what he was like and he was a well-known lawyer and i just thought it was so you know how we always talk about dr jekyll and mr hyde and that was so the case with me you know i was really a grand old chap but boy when i was compulsively overeating i was certainly not myself and um anyway so um let's see Oh, the, the next paragraph, it says, um, none too promising. And I was thinking about my experience in OA in the beginning. Like, if you would have known me in my early OA days, I was none too promising. Nobody would ever have said that I would have recovered. And I struggled mightily for my first 12 years, so I was absolutely none too promising. And um, let's see. And then he's, so um, it says the use of spiritual principles was not so well understood. And um, boy, I'm so grateful that the use of spiritual principles is really um, well understood today and, and that, you know, they can be so helpful to us. And then we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. And um, yeah, but he, he had no idea that, he was even an alcoholic, um, and then I, I just I just want to kind of sneak in, you know, where I'm foreshadowing the next paragraph where it says hopelessness was written large on the man's face. Um, when I came to OA, the one thing that OA gave me was hope, and I said I struggled my first 12 years mightily, but I had this I had this idea that that. Uh, something one day something was going to happen, and then it w- wouldn't happen if I wasn't there. And in um, Roseanne's story, our, our founder, she says, "But if you continue to bring your body to the light, then you know, then um, the truth is there waiting for you." And and I kept thinking that, and I kept thinking that you know, as long as I stayed, that something would happen. And you know, by the grace of God, you know. It did, and something did happen. And um, anyway, so I, like I said, OA was the thing that really gave me hope and continues to give me hope to this day. So thank you for letting me give service. Thank you so much, um, Martha. Okay, who would like to share on this um, section? Janice M. Janice M. Kim G. 
I'm sorry, Kim G, Larry K, Monica T, Monica T. Anyone else? Okay, go ahead, please, Janice M, followed by Kim G. Well, good morning to you again, Katie, and everyone. My name is Janice M, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. You know, I I was on the um, after meeting yesterday, and I really want to re-say what I what I said on page 157. For those that didn't hear this, because um, this is really important to me, and I'm sure to others, on paragraphs one and two, on page 157. It says, two days later, two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Well, you know, he's coming off the alcohol like I was coming off the foods that I was allergic to. And this is what this is saying. You know, when something is so important, Bill repeats it, repeats it, repeats it, but he does it in a different way, and sometimes we don't see it. But please notice, this man was abstinent. Two days, he was abstinent, but he wasn't recovered. Because, see, he's just coming out of that uh, that anesthesia, supposedly, you know, out of the binge, or, you know, because he's been in the hospital many times, and he's gone out being abstinent. But it says here he's a future a future fellow, so you know that something must have happened. And it happened before, after, I'm sorry, it happened after these two men recovered, gave him the treatment. What did they give the treatment of? They gave the treatment of the disease, which is the allergy of the body, which the hospital focused in on, his allergy, and now Bill and Bob are going to give him the treatment of what alcoholism really is, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. See, Bob Dobson didn't know that. He didn't know that part. He said, you just go in, get dry, get off the booze, you know, like us. Oh, abstinence. Oh, yeah, I feel wonderful. But I always went back to it. Uh, Why? Because my mind wasn't treated, you know. I had that mental obsession. So I think that's very important if you notice that they're just treating the allergy, the hospital. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Kim G., you're up, followed by Larry Kay. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. Put him in the private room. We'll be down two days later. And just, I don't want to point out that, you know, they could have come down that day. And like Janice said, they went two days later because his brain had to be cleared. And this is not just Janice's opinion. This is not just my opinion. So I just want to put down some places in the book that it absolutely tells us, first and foremost, we have to address the allergy. So it says in the doctor's opinion four separate times that I see. So on page XXVI, it says, more often than not, it is imperative, imperative of the utmost importance that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. On XXVII, it says, of course, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. And then on page XXXI, when Dr. Silkworth is describing two of his patients, 
the first patient, he says, following the elimination of alcohol, he accepted the plan outlined in this book. And then the second patient, following his physical rehabilitation, he became sold on the ideas contained in this book. And we didn't just leave it there. In more, and then there's a solution that says on page 19, elimination of alcohol is but a beginning. And even when we are in more about alcoholism and we meet Jim and Fred, what happens? They have a bout with alcohol and they go into the hospital after they've been dried out. And Fred, it actually says, after he regained his ability to think. How, why was that? Because he was dried out. And I want to say some common conversations I have with people is someone calls me up all frustrated and anxiety-ridden because they've done the steps three times and they, it doesn't work. And I ask them, have you done the, these steps abstinently? And crickets. Another common conversation is they, they picked up the food on Tuesday. They're calling me on a Thursday and want to do a 10-step with me and are wondering why they're not getting any relief. Another one is often people make the boogeyman out of sugar and flour, and they say, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not eating sugar and flour. Of course, I'm doing these other things, which is kind of like an alcoholic saying, well, you know, I'm a vodka and tonic girl, but since I'm only having light beer, it's not as bad as it used to be. Now, the good news is that if that's your experience and you're wondering why you're relapsing, you're wondering why you can't get out of the food, it's not that the steps don't work. It's just that you're not following the clear-cut directions in this book. And the most, well, in my opinion, the most important direction and the first direction we get is the food must be down in order for us to address the larger aspect of our disease, which is the mental twist. And with that, I pass. Okay, thank you, Kim G. And Larry K., you're up, followed by Monica T., and then we'll open it up for more shares. Hi, Katie. Uh, thanks for your service. Larry K., Recovered Compulsive Reader. The, uh, uh, the part that I, you know, it, it says the use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. And uh, that, I think that was indeed true. You know, what, what comes to me in an analogy, you know, there was uh, – the analogy I would use is, you know, doctors in the 1960s, they, they looked down at mother's milk as something primitive, as if it could be replicated by their laboratories. And they didn't know what they didn't know. They, they didn't realize that mother's milk might include some useful components that, uh, that could have eluded their scientific understanding. And um, many people said that the, the price for this... This inference they made, those who were not breastfed as infants, turned out to be, what, an increased risk of a bunch of health problems, cancers. Um, furthermore, benefits to mothers who breastfed, you know, um, were also neglected. Uh, there was reduction in the risk of breast cancer. So what does that have to do? Well, they didn't have the knowledge. And early on here, the use of spiritual principles was not so well understood as it is now. So we understand a little bit better. I know I do. And I understand better based on my experience. You know, let's keep in mind, this was just such an early stage in the development of the spiritual approach to alcoholism. So Bill, well, the message was brought to Bill by Ebby. He left Towns Hospital December 18, 1934. Um, Dr. Bob took his last drink on June 10, 1935. 
now Bill Dotson was about to receive the message of hope from Bill and Bob um, to produce a spiritual transformation, regardless of one's understanding of it, it's necessary for sobriety and sanity if you're a person like me. And alcoholics needed to conclude or to concede their powerlessness. Surrendering to a higher power was a must. And so now this process early in our history would sometimes take place in a person's kitchen or, or in this case, you know, by a, someone's hospital bed. And Bill was kneeling on one side of the bed, picture Dr. Bob on the other. And that way this person would be led to admit his complete defeat. And, you know, so one of the early realizations of Bill and Bob was that to remain sober, an alcoholic needed another alcoholic to work with. And the other realization was the concept that if the alcoholic could resist the urge to drink by postponing it for a day, an hour, even a minute, he could remain sober. You know, he was powerless, but he was certainly not helpless, nor are you helpless in the midst of your powerlessness. You can't put the food down, but it has to come with your willingness. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Monica T., you're up. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. Yeah, we got a real corker here. He's been in the hospital eight times. They have detoxed him eight times in the past six months. And he he totally goes off his head here that they've got him strapped down tight. You know, that means they got the leather straps on his arms and his legs, and he's, stuck, he's strapped to that bed. He's not going anywhere. He was a prospect, all right, but none too promising, you know. And I think how many times, over and over and over again, I found myself um, in, you know, post-binge and, and the awfulness of that. And so they say, put him in a private room, we'll be down. Of course, this is Dr. Bob, and he's telling the nurse, put him in a private room. And two days later, they come in, and, and Bill D. here, he's looking, he's the fellow of, future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous, stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. So like has already been said, you know, he's had two days of being detoxed here, of, of, of going through whatever, whether he had hallucinations and delirium tremens, or we don't know, they don't say, from being brought down from the alcohol. And he's looking at these guys, it's still not too clear here. You know, who are you guys? And why this private room? I was always in a ward before, and that's what I wanted to comment on, just to go a little further with this. You know, back in the days, there was always wards in a hospital, and as a, as a young nurse, I worked in a place that we had a ward. And it usually was at the very end of the hall. It was one big room with a whole bunch of beds in it, and all you had was a little flimsy curtain, if you had, or a divider of some sort between your beds. So there wasn't any privacy. And if someone was moved to a private room, that was pretty serious, and they probably were going to be dying. So, you know, first of all, he finds himself in a private room all by himself. Oh, my God, what's going on? You know, he must have been scared to death. You know, am I dying? Is this finally going to do it to me? And he looks up and he sees these two guys. Who are you, you know? And we're going to give you a treatment for alcoholism. You know, thank God for Bill and Dr. Bob. And uh, we will hear the rest of the story. And with that, I'll pass. Okay. Who else would like to comment on this uh, section? 
Maureen M. Melissa C. Tina S. Okay, Maureen M. Melissa C. and Tina S. Okay, anyone else? Okay, we'll have those three, Amy e. and then we'll Amy E. Amy E. Amy E. Amy E. And then we will have um, Nancy R. Read the next two paragraphs. Go ahead, Maureen. Yes. Good morning. My name is Maureen M. From New York. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I I lived this with my father um, eight times. Uh, at least eight times in a year in a hospital when I was a teenager. And, you know, it took it took a while. I mean, I would say a full week for the body and the brain to clear from serious, delirious delirium tremens and uh, hallucinations and... Um, it was brutal, and it was ugly. And he never did get the program. Um, he got so sick, he just couldn't He couldn't do it um, physically and maybe wet brain. I'm not sure what went on there, but it was ugly. Uh, this is what happens. This is the end of the road. Now, from what I remember, this was not the father that I knew as a very, very young child. However, that being said, the progression picked up over the years. Um, It's imperative for me as a compulsive overeater to stop eating. I mean, it was, I, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't understand anything until the substances were out of my body. And I personally waited maybe three weeks of saturating myself with meetings and crying and calling people. It was a period of extreme discomfort. But I was willing because I didn't want to die. I saw what it could do. I saw firsthand what it could do. I was gifted with that, believe it or not. I see it now, 35 years later. Um, I didn't see it then. Of course not. Um, that's why I'm so grateful. Because this disease has three goals in mind. Death, institutions, hospitals. Done. Jail, whatever. Um, a private room. I don't think my father was ever in a private room. They got so sick of him, they put him anywhere. Uh, but he did have one person from AA who never, ever, ever gave up. He used to come. He used to talk to him. And although it failed, he stayed sober. And that's the message here that, for me, that Bill and Bob in helping uh, Dodson, they they continued their recovery. I'm not sure about Dodson. I, I don't know the rest of the chapter. I don't know if he recovered. He didn't recover. All I know is that they recovered. They realized that service, getting to the people who were very sick and trying to help them and carrying the message, not the alcoholic, was the answer. And that's all really I have to share today. Everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. 
Thank you, Maureen M. Melissa C., you're up, followed by Tina S. Hi. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, when I think about um, the prospect, you know, being none too promising, um, I, you know, I think about myself and, and how with every other treatment that did not, you know, um, understand that there there was a, a spiritual treatment that, you know, principles needed to be applied here. Um, yeah, I was none too promising with all the other treatments, you know. Everything that only addressed um, the physical for me never worked, you know, because my problem is much greater than just the physical problem. And so, you know, I thought about every diet, um, you know, that I could just like him, you know, in and out, in and out, and um, they never worked. They never lasted for long. They didn't yield um, lengthy results because they weren't addressing the real problem. It was just the surface. You know, it was just the, the physical. And so, of course, the obsession always returns because because I'm a real deal, you know, and, and the physical is not enough to get me, to get me recovered. And, um, you know, and so the other thing that I think about is, um, you know, how incredible it is to be at that position when you are, um, now I wasn't, you know, strapped down, you know, my, my addiction didn't necessarily make me go crazy and hit nurses, but you know, certainly in my life, you know, I got to a point where, in a way, metaphorically, I, I was strapped down because um, I was a prisoner, you know, in my body. My body um, was, you know, ravaged by this disease, and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. And so, in a sense, I was strapped down. And I was like two different people, a loving, you know, wife and mother and daughter and teacher, and then I was a monster, you know, who um, was a totally different person as a result of, of, you know, what the food does to me um, and who I am, you know, without a spiritual solution. And so, you know, I'm like that um, two people, you know, I'm I'm the person who could throw garbage out the window, um, you know, in the middle of a binge because I don't want anyone to see my boxes and bags. But I'm also the person who, you know, can talk about the beauty of the earth and how important it is to take care of it. And and that's what my disease did um, to me. And and so I'm none too promising without a spiritual solution. But with one, I have recovery. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Tina S., you're up. Followed by Amy E. Lois M. Thanks, Kate, for your service, and uh, sorry for your loss. Tina S. Compulsive Eater, anorexic in Florida. Uh, wow, heard some really, really good things this morning. And, you know, I uh, I totally relate to, to Bill Dotson, and, um, you know, many, many times uh, was I beaten down. And, um, and then, you know, eventually I got to a place of um, – you know, I was really just ready, and I and I love what was talked about. You know, I have to be free from my um, uh, addictive foods. You know, I just have to, whatever they are. And I and I think you know, this is just my own opinion. I think a lot of the same things are the same addictive foods for different people, and and that's why why we relate so well. And uh, you know, I uh, 
I had tried doing this thing without being free. And it just, you know, for me, you know, just for me, you know, I'm not really willing to, to go to any lengths if I'm not free from my uh, addictive foods. I'm just not, you know, I'm still blocked with someone of the spirit. And, and so I'm only, you know, and ha- ha- giving half measures. And it tells me in the book, big book that, you know, half measures avail me nothing, not half, not a little less than half nothing and so until i was really willing to do the deal and and to get rid of those things the substances in my body was i able to be clear-minded enough to go forward and i love what was shared two days later two days later you know they came to visit him because they knew of their own experience that if he wasn't free from the booze in his body that he wasn't going to be willing to hear anything and um with that i'll pass this has been a great meeting thank you Thank you so much, Tina and Amy E. You're up, followed by Lois, and then we'll go to the next paragraph. Hi, Katie. Hi, Visionaries. Amy E. in rural Ohio, um, recovered. I'm just questioning this this line here. Um, the use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. I'm wondering what they're referring to. I mean, they talk about this... Um, here was a prospect, all right, but by the description, none too promising. So I guess they were worried that this uh, this lawyer, this bigwig, may not want to um, the talk of God. I'm not sure. I can't get into their heads, but I'm looking at what uh, Bill outlines in working with others as the approach we are to use with people who are... Um, willing to put down the food, having come off of a binge um, and are expressing a desire to stop. And I'm also looking at Bill B's own story in Alcoholic Anonymous number three, where he uh, talks about feeling very defeated and kind of annoyed that his wife had shared his story with two other, with two um, men. And then he found out that they were drunks like him. And so he was willing to hear them out and have them visit him. Um, And uh, he was also told by his wife that these were two guys who had a cure for alcoholism for themselves, that they needed to work with other alcoholics in order to stay sober themselves. And Bill Dodson says in his story that um, all this time anybody he met with was trying to save him and help him, and he didn't want their help. And here were two guys who wanted to talk to him to help themselves and who was he to deny them that, you know? So he thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll see these guys. I'll hear what they have to say. So maybe that's the spiritual principle that they're talking about, that we approach people um, with, you know, we want to be helpful, but we also need to keep spiritually active, as it said earlier in, in the pages that we're reading now from uh, A Vision for You. We have to keep spiritually active, and that means sharing the message. And part of it is saying to somebody, I'd like to share my message with you because it's going to help me stay abstinent. If it can help you, if you're willing to stop compulsively overeating, I'm here to do and help you in whatever way I can. Um, but I need to share this in order for me to stay abstinent and do this work so I can stay abstinent. So um, I'm wondering if that's a key to what that, that sentence means. Thanks, I pass. Thank you so much. And Lois M., you're up, followed by uh, Nancy R. reading the next two paragraphs. 
Good morning, Katie. Uh, thank you for your service, and uh, good morning, everyone. Lois M. Excuse me, <clears throat> recovered in Massachusetts, and um, this is such a great meeting this morning. Um, you know, I used to hear um, I, when I first started to hear um, in in my community or in my life or in the OA community, you know that. Um, the big book offered a treatment for compulsive overeating, you know. I mean, I was very interested. First of all, you know, I, I, was, I was very deeply, uh, I was spiritually sick, you know. I was physically sick and um, emotionally very, very uh, fragile. And, and so I, I tuned in and I sought, you know, through, through other people, you know, I, I tried to follow up and to find a treatment for alcoholism, for a compulsive overeating. And, and when I, you know, when I was presented with some of these, these principles or this way, you know, it was through a, it was through a um, telephone meeting. And I also had attended, you know, personal meetings, but I was told, you know, that we studied this big book and they, they, they seemed to go through every, every word and they would stop and, you know, and share and try to understand. And many other people would give their spiritual, I mean, their uh, experience, strength and hope. And um, I was, I was very sick. I did not, you know, I was, um, did not want to hear anything about, and I was even abstinent, you know, and I got a few days abstinent and I was still listening. I did not want to hear anything about spirituality, uh, higher power or any, I didn't want to talk about what the words meant. And, um, I was full of, you know, rage, guilt, fear, and had absolutely no hope. I was grasping for straws, just like maybe that man in the barn. And I was afraid to hope, you know, and all I wanted to do was for somebody to tell me how to get well, how to get, stop eating and maybe get thin. But, you know, I was, I was a very selfish, sick individual with uh, low bottom values at that time. And that was a total change for me. You know, I, I was a happy person um, in, in my early years. I was voted most cheerful in high school, and I resented, you know, the whole world at that point. And, um, and I had many experiences in my early years of uh, my recovery. And, you know, I, I, my, my message today is I just wanted to say that I was desperate enough to keep coming. And, and that was the biggest strength that, that was the only strength and the biggest strength that I had then. I mean, I didn't recognize it because I, I was being uh, given the grace of God to be able to keep coming, and, and which I continue to do. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't abstinent right away. I, I had many times when I slipped and relapsed. And, and the best thing I ever had, the gift that I had, was perseverance. I never stopped going to Overeaters Anonymous. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. You know, I have a I have a wonderful life today. You know, I have many challenges, as some of you know, but I um, I have a wonderful relationship with my higher power and and many you know many of uh, friends in this program, and I continue to persevere spiritually. <laughs> it's my um, most highest you know um, challenge, and to um, to be able to help others. And to be grateful to, that to seek to grow in, in spiritual daily, and for that I'm very grateful, and I will pass. Thank you so much, um, Lois. And now um, Nancy R., if you'll please read those next two paragraphs. 
thank you so much for this opportunity. Good morning, everyone. My name is Nancy Ira. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, Oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. For an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me. That's me. I drink like that. Wow. Uh, I've certainly identified with these uh, two paragraphs. Uh, when I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous for the second time, 1993, I was hopeless. The first time I came, I really was treating it like the other diet programs that I had been in. And I dropped out. I came back 10 years later. And I was hopeless. Um, I had tried so many things so many times, and eventually they all failed with me lapsing back into the disease. But really discovering a way, I, I too sensed that there was something a little different. It was going to be different this time. I can identify with the phrase where he says, I'm afraid to go out the, out the door. I can't understand it. Uh, I can recall the fear, uh, the dread of waking up in the morning, knowing that I was going to uh, binge, not wanting to, but knowing that eventually, once I started, that I would be back into the food. I recall those days. I didn't want to, but I didn't know how not to. But after listening to these men, uh, yesterday I talked with a, um, a young lady, and uh, she was telling me her um, eating history. And I could have just put my name on the story. Uh, one, one compulsive overeater can identify with another compulsive overeater. Just like um, these men did when they were talking with him, they talked to him an hour. Uh, they took time. They didn't rush. They took time, and uh, it does take time. It takes a commitment to work with newcomers, and I'm grateful that someone took the time to work with me. Um, they talked for an hour, and he was uh, made aware of the severity of his problem. That's what they did. And uh, because of the time they took running down the uh, what was um, the essence of this uh, program, he was um, made aware that there was a way out. I love this program. I thank God for Readers Anonymous. It has not only saved my life, but it has given me a life. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much, Nancy. Who would like to share on these two paragraphs? This is Shai from Boston. Katie G. Sharon from Atlanta. Okay, Sharon from Atlanta, you're first. Um, I have Katie G. And um, was it Lynn Okay. Okay, what time is it? 740. I think we have um, 
Well, we have time for one or two more if anybody else wants to jump in. Well, no, we don't. I'm sorry, I can't add right now. So let's just go with those three. Um, Sharon first, KDG, Lynn S. My name is Sharon W. I am a compulsive overeater in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm very grateful for OA and a vision for you. It seems like I've been um, reformed once I found a vision for you because in these paragraphs, as he says, over and over, he would say, that was me. For 25 years, over and over and over and over, I have been going to this program and trying to pay for that program and trying to do it by myself. Oh, there is a God. I don't need anybody else's help. It's just me and God. Of course, God can do anything. So I don't need any help from anyone else. But that's not the way God set things up. We are to help one another and to love one another. And I know that I needed help, but I just never knew where I could get the help. And I prayed about it, and he brought me to OA. I prayed and prayed, and I'm now at a vision for you, which is my home now. And it is doing the same thing over and over and over gets you the same results. You're just in a vicious circle going around and around and not being able to break the cycle unless you get help. You must have help, and you must have a spiritual, be spiritually active to be recovered. I pass. That's, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Sharon W. Katie G., you're up. Good morning, Katie. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic turning my timer on, calling in from Boston. The magic me too, you guys, right? Like I'm I'm sitting in the rooms and I hear this woman and she's talking about being obsessed with her body and not being able to move forward with her day unless the numbers on the scale read something else. And she tells me about her getting on the scale 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 times a day. She tells me about um, taking Ipecac. She tells me about having to exercise no matter what, sacrificing family, sacrificing jobs, sacrificing money, sacrificing anything, just to get that ease and comfort that comes at once with the exercise, right? All this identification in with my anorexia, with my bulimia, and finally, ultimately, with my binge eating. And, um, but that's not where it ends, right? Because if, if that's all you related to, then, you know, um, send me to an eating disorder clinic and, uh, and that's not, uh, you know, fix me, send me on my way. But the biggest thing that I ever related to was this woman saying, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. And that is me to my core. And not just that she doesn't feel uncomfortable in her own skin, but that she used to. And that she doesn't today. And that today a power greater than herself 
you know, restores her to sanity each and every day. And the irony for me of living in 10, 11, and 12 is I have a sponsor who I'm accountable and I have sponsees that I'm accountable who keep me just as honest and rigorous as anybody else, right? Because if they're walking shoulder to shoulder with me, being rigorously honest with entire abstinence and doing their, you know, fitting their, their life into their program and not their program into their life because this disease wants me dead and will settle for me using, then they're going to hold me to, to, to honesty just like, everything, just like everything else. And that is the privilege because I get to look the world in the eye today and, um, and I call all of you and, you know, I pray and I do my step tens and I get that magic me too factor of, oh my gosh, Katie G is acting like Bridezilla again. Look at what she's doing. But then hand over heart, like how can I see the big picture? How can I see that God is either everything or he is nothing? What is my choice to be? And when I was going to Weight Watchers and when I was going to Diet Center and other, you know, diet opportunities, they didn't fill that hole in the soul. They didn't help me get back into my body. And today, the privilege of being a member of Overeaters Anonymous is that I get to be one among many. I get to identify in and say food was never my problem. It was the solution that I applied to all my problems. And wait, even when the food is down, my life continues to be unmanageable unless I have a power greater than me that will restore me to sanity if I live in this program. So I'm going to keep doing it one day at a time with all of you shoulder to shoulder. God bless. Thank you, Katie G. Lynn S., you're up. Good morning. This is Lynn S. from Toronto, Canada, a recovering compulsive overeater. This paragraph is bringing me back to where I was at the end of my eight-year relapse. And in that relapse, I had been abstinent many times. I had received two-year medallion, two one-year medallions, I got a bunch of 10 months and a bunch of 30, 60, 90s, and at the end of it, I, could, I couldn't string anything together. I was so hopeless, hopeless. And I can remember thinking I was, um, I was on my way to a spa holiday, and I was so despondent, and I thought, I cannot believe that I'm going to this exclusive spa that cost me a whack of money, and I'm going up at the end of a binge, or I didn't know it was the end of a binge, I'm going up binging. This was not the way I had planned to spend this exclusive week at this spa. And it, it was, I was afraid to go at the door, I couldn't understand it, and I thought, people are going to say, do you remember Lynn S., whatever happened to Lynn S., and they said, oh yeah, you know, like she was around for a long time, you know, abstinent for 17 years, and then she kind of struggled, and then she could just never get it back, and I truly thought, that I was going to be one of those people that just could never get it back. And I was utterly hopeless, and I could not for the life of me understand it. I could not understand it because I kept putting the food down. And I must admit, I, I really believed this at the time. I thought I had worked the steps. I thought I had worked the steps. I'm sure I've worked the steps. I mean, I had, I'd been to Joe and Charlie so many times, and I had the tapes, and I had the this and the that. And I probably started off gung-ho, and I probably did a fourth, I'm sure, and maybe a fifth, and then I kind of don't know where it went from that, but I read Drop the Rock, so I knew all about six. I guess what I'm trying to say is I didn't do the work. I can honestly say now, after 
um, more than two years in recovery and knowing what I'm doing now and knowing what I have done and knowing that the lengths I went to, I can remember trying to get rid of the sex part of my inventory and I'm phoning people from vision all over the place trying to get rid of this and, and finally hooking up with somebody. I mean, I never would have done that before. I never would have. But I was desperate to get it done because I wanted so much to recover. And it, it's... um. I can't explain it, and it's not that vision does anything different. I was sitting here thinking, waiting for my time to share. We're not doing anything different. That's the whole point. What we're doing is we are following the directions clearly outlined in the book. What a secret, eh? What What a miracle of recovery. It's right here, and for all those years in program, I honestly thought I was doing it, but I wasn't. And I can see now the difference and see the recovery. And somebody shared this morning because often we can get um, a little discouraged because other people aren't recovering. But but I've come out of an eight-year relapse, and I've got over two years of having the food down. But so much more importantly than that, I am starting to recover. I am experiencing recovery the way it's outlined in the book. I'm so grateful. Thank you, God, for this meeting. And thank you, God, for Bill and Bob and the people who came before us. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lynn. And I'm going to take the last two minutes. Um, I'm Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And these two paragraphs I relate to so well because that's exactly how I felt. I felt hopeless. Um, I came to OA when I was 14 years old in 1975. And at that time, I thought it sounded like so stupid. And so I went back out to um, prove that I didn't need anything to do with this. And so then when I came back and uh, when I was 21, this is where I was. I felt very hopeless. And over and over again, I would say, yes, that's me. That's me. I eat like that when I would go to meetings. But it was another six years before I truly uh, recovered because then I would start to say, well, I don't, I don't do that. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, if you had my life, if you, don't you understand? I was invited out to lunch. I had to go out to lunch, and I had to eat what was in the restaurant. I couldn't possibly eat what I had told you this morning. So I just ate something that looked like what I talked about this morning. And, yeah, it contained five of my binge foods. And so – you know, I'm not absent anymore. And it just was so logical to me that that is what I had to do. That's, don't you understand? That's what I had to do because, you know, I can't be rude and um, I'm just not as bad as you and, and it's okay. It's okay. I'll be okay. And I'll just do some of what you say, but I'm not going to do all of what you say because that's just ridiculous. And what that got me was wanting to drive off the road and kill myself and um, 70 pounds to lose um, instead of 10, which is what it started out as when I was 14. So, you know, that's what I could keep doing, but that's uh, not what I have to do today. And I'm so grateful because I did finally say, okay, okay, what do I need to do? And I follow these directions every day. With that, I'll pass. And now... Um, 
I would like to thank everyone who has shared, and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Jody E.Q. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, I will. This is Jody E.Q. Can you hear me? You sound like you're not in the room with us. You sound far away. Okay, hold on. Is that better? Yes, much. Thank you. This is Jody E.Q., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater and bulimic in California. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.